And if you will, open up your Bibles, because this is God speaking to us right here. And, uh, you know, some people say, oh, no, this isn't God's book. If you'd open it and you'd talk to God, he'd, he'd deal with you out of this book. I guarantee you. He, he would deal with anybody. There's many atheists that have done that. Looked in the book, and God spoke to them out of the book. The book is living and full of power, and it, it's God's book. Amen? Romans, the 12th chapter, and we've been talking about not conformed, but transformed. A familiar verse, but we're looking at it from different angles here. You know, if you've been in church any length of time, you probably have heard this verse or these verses. And, um, but just because we've heard them doesn't mean they've lost their freshness. Amen? It's not like an old loaf of bread that you leave it around long enough and it turns to mold and you're like, no more of that. This, these verses can, are going to be fresh until the Lord comes back. And uh, they should not be stale. They should be vibrant. And when the opportunity comes and God directs us to go a certain way, we're going to do that. And then we'll see the life that's in these verses. So Romans, the 12th chapter, and the second verse, we've been reading both, but I'm just going to read the second one, verse instead of verse 1 and 2. And it says, And do not be conformed or take on the form of this world. And we have looked at these verses and we have realized from the context, he's not talking to everybody. He is talking to people who have genuinely had an experience with the Lord and have been made brand new. And when you use that term brand new in the Lord, it doesn't mean just your sins are forgiven and you're left a train wreck. It literally means that he made your spirit brand new, whether you know it or not, you are in good standing with God if you have received the Lord. It's a, it's a Bible term, but it's called made righteous, which means he declares you right with himself based on what he did, not what you did. Because you can't get right with God by your own works. But there's a lot of people who are demanding people to be right with God after they were made right with God. Like, you need to change what you're doing. But really, what we need to realize, when a person gets made new, if we could peel them, you know, you ever heard that? You know, you peel an onion, you get to the middle of it. If we could peel a person and look inside of them, we, we could look and realize that person is either right with God, clean and pure in their spirit, or they're not. And I know there's a lot of confusion in this area because people say, well, I, I, yeah, I accepted the Lord, but I've got some bad thoughts. Or, or I've done something wrong. That doesn't change a person's nature in the New Testament. In other words, there's talk sometimes like if you sin, the Lord leaves you. Well, once you've received the Lord, He said, I'll never leave you. I know this, that you know, in dealing with people and even in my own experience, if I've done something wrong, the Lord doesn't leave me. He deals with me. And he's not whacking me over the head. Somebody's like, wow, that's so awesome. He whacks me over the head. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. 
Somebody else might. I know the guy's name. He's called the accuser of the brethren. That's not the Lord. And, and so here he said, don't be conformed to this world. When he's talking about conformed to this world, he's not just talking about actions. He's talking about certain attitudes. Because attitudes always determine action. Whether people know it or not, it really is true. And so he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Isn't it interesting, a Christian can have received eternal life, they're secure with the Lord, but they still need to be transformed. It's an interesting thought, and it actually is all over in the New Testament. And so he said, but be transformed by the renewing, and we said this, not the removing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we can see right there, the best way to find out God's will, because a lot of people think, what does God want me to do? What is His will? The number one way, or the starting point, for knowing God's will is renewing the mind. Why? Because I can read in the Bible, and He said, forgive. That's His will. He told me be committed to his things. That's his will. He told me to, you know, do certain things or whatever it is that he discusses in the Bible, you know, because there's a lot of things like, do I really need to be in church? Well, what is his will? I don't know. We find it first in the word of God. Are you with me? Then, then once we know His will, we can act in line with His will. And so He tells us here how to find out about His will. But He said, don't be conformed to this world. Now we're going to read uh, a number of verses here. Turn to 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And as we read this, you might think, what in the world does this have to do with not being conformed to the world, but being transformed? 1 Corinthians the fourth chapter. First Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and we're going to begin reading in the 18th verse. He said this, first Corinthians, I'll let you turn there. It's real easy if you're doing it on your phone. Not Tetris, finding the verse, right? You know, I, I told the story one time, you know, about going and visiting this one church, and, and, and I was new there, uh, and I just, I had, a, I had a, a desire just to see different things going on. So I thought, I'm going to go to this church. They have a Saturday night service. And I went in and I sat in the back and I thought, okay, I'm going to observe, you know, what are they doing? And uh, all of a sudden I looked over and there was a couple right there. And the husband, I could see it, he was not far away. He, he's looking at sports stuff. On ESPN. You say, how do you know? Because I've looked at ESPN, not normally when I'm up here preaching. Like, woo, hallelujah, you know, next. And they're like, I didn't get the hallelujah. Well, so-and-so got traded. But he's looking at this. And I'm thinking, he's not going to get anything out of this. If there's anything to be gotten, if he doesn't engage himself, he, he's gonna, he's, the sower is going to try and sow seed. 
but, but he, his ears are closed. He's going to get no fruit. And then this no joke. This lady right across the aisle and like two seats in busts out a full-blown bag of Doritos. Serious. I mean, I hear people opening mints. But you can hold out from eating in church. <laughs> Man, I'm being careful here. I just realized what I said. But um, she's busting out a full-blown bag of Doritos, and she's chomping on him. And I looked over at her like, aren't you going to offer? No, I didn't think that. I thought to myself, she is so distracted, this is going to harm her. So I might joke about Tetris. But one of the fundamental principles of growing in God is getting the seed in you and then don't allow your mind to be filled with other things or it will choke the word and it won't bring forth fruit. And somebody could be like, I was there in that church and nothing happened for me. So it is important. Amen. That was free. 18th verse. Now. Ready? 418. Now. Some of you are puffed up. Now, that doesn't mean like they were retaining water, you know, like, well, some of the people, you know, got hot, they're drinking water. Some of you are like a little puffy right now with this weather we've got going on. That is not what he's talking about right here. He, he's, he's in this context, he's saying, hey, some of you guys are puffed up as though we were not coming. What it was was their attitude towards what we're about to read. They were, they were starting to think small of God. They were starting to think small of God's minister. And there was a certain attitude that was starting to occur. And he said, now there are some of you who are puffed up as though I were not coming. But he said, but I will come shortly. And if the Lord wills, uh, he said, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up. In other words, I'm not going to come just like you think with no power, no ability. But he said, but I'm going to come with power. And, and in the context, uh, we'll see what that power is. But he said, notice this. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In other words, you could say it like this, it's not words only. The words that we bring are backed by God. That's why we stick with the word, and that's why there's a fight with people to be removed from the word of God in these days. Because if you can remove people from the word of God, you're going to start removing people from the power of God. Because he said his word is powerful. So when these voices are out here in the world going, oh, you know, you, you know, you don't need to follow the Bible. It's an old book and, you know, everybody's doing different things. Be careful because what that is, it's really a ploy from the enemy to separate people's mentality from the place where they can get true results. Are you with me? And so he goes on to say, verse 21, or verse 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word or word only, but in power. Verse 21, what do you want? In other words, he's leaving it up to them. Shall I come with a rod or with this power or in love and a spirit of gentleness? 
what had happened was is there was open sin in the church that was occurring, and uh, he said, I'm going to show up, and there might be some strength and power of God to bring some correction and some change. And he said, if you guys will repent, it won't be this way. And so let's, let's read verse 1 because it's of the fifth chapter. It's continuing the thought. He said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man should have his father's wife. So when you read this, he said, this is how bad it is. He said, we don't even hear about this with lost people, but there's even a guy in your church who's sleeping with his stepmom openly. Not like in public, but meaning everybody knows what's going on. Everybody recognizes. And he said, notice verse 2. And he's about to say the same thing. And he said, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. What it was, was this guy had, was doing this, and he had no plans on repenting, no thought of changing. And so he said, he starts talking about them being puffed up again. Now I'm going to read through uh, four more verses, and then I'm going to explain some things. Verse 3. He said this, for I indeed is absent in body, but present in spirit. So he knew this in his spirit. Have already judged as though I was present. Him who has done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of judgment. Notice verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Now, there's a lot that's said in there, and people are like a new lump, an old lump, and leaven, and what is all this he's talking about? Here are some thoughts as we read through, and we're going to go back and look at some things. What are we talking about? Don't be conformed to this world. This subject is often mentioned in the Bible. And, and here in verse 2, he said their glorying was not good. Their mentality towards this evil and wrong uh, was not the way it should. And he even says this, you have not rather mourned. In other words, there was this one person doing this, and he said, and what I find is real interesting, he, he, what we would often do is target the one who's doing it. Wouldn't we? We're innocent. We're the church. We're innocent. We're not the one person who's doing it. But isn't it interesting? He didn't just target the one person who was doing it. He said, um, I'm addressing everybody. 
Why was he addressing everybody? He said, you're puffed up. In other words, there's a lot of air, there's not a lot of substance, and there should be more substance. And he said this, he said, you should have rather mourned. Literally, the word is to be sorrowful about that, or grieve. And what was the issue here that he brings up more than once? You're puffed up, you're puffed up. He's basically saying, listen, yes, we know this guy did these things. And I don't know, you know, sometimes do we look at things not the way God looks at them. And God was concerned about the whole church. And he said, listen, this guy's wrong action is wrong. There's no doubt about it. What he was doing was inappropriate. Anybody who would read the Bible, even people who don't read the Bible, would maybe think, hey, this is not appropriate. But what I find interesting is that he comes back and and addresses the church on this issue because how they were approaching this issue. They weren't even doing this act. And he addressed them. But he addressed a real thing in them. It, it was an attitude that they had toward this wrong action. Now, now when he talks about this, he wasn't talking about hating the person. As a matter of fact, he said, you know, do this, but don't count him as not a brother. In other words, realize the guy's a brother. But he's unrepentant and he doesn't want to change. And really, these guys were like, it's okay to live how you want, do what you want, hang out, live a wrong life. And he said, your glorying is not good. So they didn't mourn and they weren't sorrowful. But they were like, hey, it's okay. And, uh, you know, when you read this, you think, you know, because we hear things like this, you know, watch your attitude about these things. But is there a, something beyond the surface here? And, and a reason why he brought this up to them? Because I don't know about you, but I'd think, hey, if I'm not doing the wrong thing, then I'm in business. Right? I mean, if the police show up in the neighborhood and you know that neighbor, he does criminal activity. You hear the sirens come up, he's getting busted. There's nothing to bust me for. But the Lord showed up at the church's house and addressed a real issue. And I, I find this real interesting and thought-provoking and really refreshing in a way that it's real important for us to look at. Notice verse 7. Now, now in the Bible, when we talk about leaven, leaven in the Bible is mentioned a couple of ways. Leaven is mentioned as sin or wrongdoing. It's also referenced as 
wrong doctrine. Remember Jesus? When the disciples, they didn't bring bread on the, the ship with them one time. And the Lord said, beware of the, the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they said, oh great, it's because we didn't buy bread. And they were thinking, now we got to buy it. And maybe we're going to have to buy it from them. And they weren't even grasping what leaven meant, so he explained it. He said, leaven is wrong thinking, wrong doctrine. The wrong kind of approach. It's sin and wrongdoing, and it's wrong thinking. And here's what leaven does. Leaven is what you put in bread, and it makes it puff up and start growing and getting bigger. Are you with me? You ever notice when people take communion? I know it's there's a popular side where uh, people get a loaf of bread and break the whole loaf of bread, and that's totally fine. But but it used to be people would buy like masa bread. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a Jewish bread, and they make it, but there's no leaven in it, so it's just flat, and they pierce it. And the Bible said Christ is uh, our unleavened bread that was died for us in other words he was the sacrifice without sin he, he was without wrong doctrine he was without sin and he died for us he was unleavened without anything wrong and, and so when we look at this he they're talking about this leaven and how we should have a certain attitude toward it and we should have a certain attitude toward sin they weren't mourning sin. They were not thinking wrong about sin. But heaven has a real thing about sin. God's not condemning the world. The Bible said Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. But through the world, because the world was already condemned, they were already in trouble. But he came to not condemn the world, but that the world through him... So think about it. He didn't come to condemn. This isn't a message of condemnation. When you look and we look at this, your thinking, my thinking, should open up and light should spring forth. Why? Because sometimes we're told, just hate that. Yeah, I hate that. But there has to be, when we read this, you'll see it, a personal identification. If, meaning like this, if you know the Lord and you've received him, your sins are just not forgiven. That's only a part of it. You've been made new and you've been made right. Now look at this verse right here, verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. Well, in this case, it was, have this guy who's not repenting leave, but it also, in the context, is dealing with a certain mentality that was entertaining of wrong, that was accepting of wrong. He said, purge out the old leaven, therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. But notice this phrase, since you truly are unleavened, isn't it interesting, he identified the whole church, he said, now I'm 
wanting to deal with you about your mentality, really what he was trying to do is get their mentality to line up with who they really were. To, to be playful as it was with sin is to think contrary to who you are. Because he said, he said this here. Since you truly are unleavened. From a spiritual aspect, why is a Christian unleavened or without sin or spiritual death? He said, for indeed, Christ our Passover lamb was sacrificed for us. How did he remove this? So what he's trying to really get across here, and if you don't look at that verse and you magnify the other ones alone, you just think this is about having an attitude uh, against sin. But really, or wrong, or certain you know things that are not God's way. Really, what he's trying to do is go, look, you have been spiritually purged. God looks at you inwardly as clean. If you read the very next chapter, he brings the same type of thinking up again. He names all these things of adultery and fornication and homosexuality and all the, you know, getting drunk and all this lying and all of it. And, and, and he said, and such were some of you, but you were washed. But if you read the context, some were practicing it, but he said, you've been justified. How did, what does it mean to be justified? It's the same word as being declared right in God's sight. What he wanted them to do is realize there's a spiritual part of you, and when you receive the Lord, you have been put in right standing with him. You have been uh, made right with him. You have been washed. You have been cleaned. You are dead to sin. You've come in union with Christ. When he said you are without leaven, that means that he has purged you spiritually. The problem was they had let things come into their mind. They had... Remember our verse, do not be conformed with this world to this world. This church was going, it's okay to be that way. It's all right, these things that are happening. But he wanted not for them just to change their mind. He wanted them to know why they should be thinking different. Because to think this way about these things is really to go against who you are. And see, we're made in the likeness and image of God. He doesn't like these things either. He really loves people, but he made you clean. So the person who's going, well, this is okay, no big deal. He said, really here, it's not good. He said, because you, if you've received the Lord, are really clean. He wants you to think that way. You know, I remember after I gave my life to the Lord, I had a habit. I had a lot of habits before I gave my life to the Lord. But one habit I had grown into was watching horror flicks. And that was back in the day, and some of you are not going to understand this whatsoever. You're just going to have to ask somebody when you leave. But you used to go to a store 
and get a big, looks like a giant candy bar. I'm trying to make this relative. It's called a VHS thing. And you put it in this player. And then you get in trouble, like serious trouble, and it costs you like a buck if you don't rewind it. And so I would go into these stores and rent horror movies. And then when uh, I, a new one would come out, you know, you go to the movies and watch it. And so at that time, I was dating this one girl. She'd given her life to the Lord. So we weren't doing everything we used to do. So we said, let's go to a movie. And so we thought, hey, there's a new horror movie. You know, I hadn't been walking with the Lord not even probably a month. Nobody told me a thing. I went into the movies. We, I still remember the one, the name of the movie. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you to go, well, let's go watch this part. But anyway, once I start telling you, maybe you'll know. But I remember sitting there watching the movie and something in me was going, yuck. See, I... I had been made new. I was no longer leaven. Sin had been removed from my inward nature. But here I am feeding my mind something and making it acceptable. Like, oh yeah. I mean, it's about a priest who murders and does this stuff. And I'm just, and I'm going, yuck. Why does this bother me way down here? Because I was a new creation in Christ like you are if you're saved. And uh, these people were that way. They were thinking contrary. I bet you there were people in that church that saw some people accepting it. Because I don't know if you notice at the top, the very first part we read in verse 18, it says, now some are puffed up. Not all of them, but some of them, but so many that they were accepting of this. And I remember just sitting there in the movie going yuck down here well up here I'm thinking well I do this all the time I watch these movies all the time and I remember looking over at her and she's staring at the movie she looked back at me I didn't realize finally after about 15 minutes our eyes met and we're like ugh I remember getting in the car driving away praying thinking it's like yuck Why? Because that was leaven, and it was affecting me. And he even said here, leaven can affect the whole church by having this type of mentality of allowing certain things in. And why would it affect us? He said, because you're unleavened. Your nature is opposed to sin. Your nature, because of the work of Christ on the cross, is different. See, and that's what need to, people need to know. There's a difference between your mind, your will, your emotions, and intellect, and the spiritual part of you uh, that was made new. But they're so closely connected that when you die, your body goes in the ground, but both those parts go to be with the Lord. But, but notice Hebrews tells us they're so intertwined, natural things can't even separate them he said his word is so sharp that it can let you know what is your mind and what is your spirit or what is your emotions. And if we're not careful, 
you know, like these, some of these people, they had started entertaining some stuff uh, and being loose about it. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not asking people to walk around and go, what are you doing, what, uh, you know, trying to spot people. Because, you know, that's what some people do. They become a good spotter. You know, they're Christian bird hunters. <laughs> Observing everything people is doing wrong. No, he addressed the whole church so each person could individually evaluate themselves and go, wait a minute, I'm dead to sin. I remember after I got saved, I didn't want to do wrong. Now, it doesn't mean I was perfect, but I did not want to do wrong. But what I have observed over time is when people don't address their attitude towards sin and toward what God is not pleasing to him, there can be a compromise that allows things in. And so we're talking about being transformed. And when he said Christ, the sacrifice that was sacrificed for me and for you, he said, truly, now because of him, we're unleavened. Well, if I'm unleavened or without sin in my spiritual part of me, I need to be careful I don't adopt certain attitudes towards things. I remember I like jokes like anybody, well, like some people, because uh, not everybody, I think, likes a joke, because I know sometimes I've told a joke and people are like, and not because it was a bad joke, because you know I can do bad jokes good too. Meaning like not funny. Right? <laughs> like serious, we didn't need any amens right there. I mean, you could have just, oh, you know, we understand you, your humor. But, but I found that after I gave my life to the Lord, when somebody would tell some off-color joke, I was like, I don't like that. You with me? I don't, I don't like that. But if you're not careful, he was saying you could start adopting things that are contrary to your nature, finding humor in them. And he said this is causing people to be puffed up. And what's happening is they're starting to think wrong. See, our spirits have been set free. But one of the greatest things that anybody will need to understand is just because your spirit's been made brand new doesn't mean you've been transformed. Uh, the biggest thing is, is what? Renewing the mind. And, you know, it's a process. It's not overnight. The, and when he addressed these people, he was basically saying, you guys are clean spiritually. You have a new nature but you got to deal with some of this attitude towards certain things that are making it acceptable. He said they were making it so acceptable it was getting into the church, and he said it's going to affect the whole thing. You know, and like I said, this is not the opportunity for a witch hunt. You know what I mean by that. Amen. Notice this verse, Romans 12, verse 9. We're, we're right there. And he said, don't be conformed to this world. Do you think he was addressing their mentality uh, after this? Actually, he does quite a bit in the verses. One, he talks about, you know, not thinking too high of yourself. Because see, the world will think too high of themselves. 
But we should think high of ourselves in the right way. You know, when he said don't think more highly than you ought, that wasn't to say, now everybody, you should feel like a dirtbag when you leave today. No, he wanted them to know, listen, you have giftings from God. You have something from God. And if you read through, he starts talking about how the people were thinking towards things. And notice verse 9, he said, let love be without hypocrisy or love without being a hypocrite. In other words, let your love be universal. Be, learn to be patient. Learn to be kind to all people. You know, God is patient and He's real kind. You know how I know? Because we aren't all wiped off the face of the earth. Are you with me? Some people are like, I don't understand. Oh, we do. Because He's perfect in all His ways. And I'm not preaching like you just do anything you want to because obviously uh, we're addressing this. But these people weren't even doing wrong, but he said, hey, you need to look at how you approach things that are sin. And notice what he said here, and this is in the context of being not conformed to this world. He, he said, love without being a hypocrite or without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. See, in that other church, they were made new, but they weren't abhorring what was wrong. See, I can abhor what is wrong and love my child and correct my child. Do you know what I mean? Or certain situations. But that doesn't mean I'm like abhorring them. But notice, abhor. That's a word we don't use. He didn't just say kind of be like, oh, it is sin. Well, you should have a certain mentality that really lines up with our nature. When we get to heaven and we walk with the Lord in a million, billion, trillion years, and it is super glorious, we're not going to be like going, oh yeah, people are sinning over here and this. One thing that having a mentality that is really not for sin actually does something for you. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 1 verse 9, it says this, that Jesus hated unrighteousness and loved, you know, or hated sin and wickedness and loved righteousness. And because he had that mentality, see, he had never sinned. His nature, his he had life in him. We've received that same life. So it said because he had this mentality, it said it affected his joy. And his joy was greater than all of his companions. See, to adopt this mentality correctly, it really releases that life and that joy and strength out of you. The enemy would tell you, well, you don't know what you're missing. Or the enemy would tell you, is condemn other people. But the Lord's saying, listen, this will have an effect on you. No wonder he said, love should be overriding in our lives, but abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. There's a place where I hike, 
and I only hike this hike a couple times a year, it's to Superstition Peak. Sometimes I do it, well, I already started, by myself. I know people don't like that. Let's just pretend I'm not going to do that anymore, and I've done it in the past. There's this one place when you get up near the peak where you have to kind of swing out, and it's a good ledge. And then you kind of have to swing back, and if you don't cling to that which is good, you'd be reading about somebody being rescued off the side of the rocks. So when he said cling to what is good, he's telling you, you got to hold on to that. As a Christian in the world we live in, in heaven you're not going to have to cling to it. Because there will be no opposition. But here he said you're going to have to cling to what is good. You're going to have to abhor, hold on, and hate the other. This is just a thought. If you've served the Lord for any length of time, sometimes people over a period of time may allow things in they didn't allow at the beginning. Things that they watch now, they didn't watch them after they gave their life to the Lord because they went, ooh, ooh, no. Anybody have a change like that when you gave your life to the Lord? You went, "Uh uh-uh, I can't watch that. I can't do that. I won't go there. What makes it so people start going there? It's the same thing that we've been talking about. Their mentality started changing toward things that were wrong. And here's the thing. He's not just saying, don't think about these things. He's saying, listen, we just need to be in sync with who we really are in God. You're full of His power. Because God lives in you when you give your life to the Lord. You're full of eternal life. There is no satisfaction. I've never found somebody who has delved off into certain kinds of life and lifestyle and they go out and start drinking and doing all kinds of stuff that they come back and say, my marriage was enhanced. My marriage is so much better now for doing that. Or they start doing different things uh, and you, you, know, you don't ever hear those things. I started compromising, and my marriage and my family is blessed. You know, I've been compromising more now, and life is just good. Well, if it is good, the Bible said it'll only be for a season. Why is it that it would only be good for a season? Because it's really just the dividing of a human you are breaking your own self, so to speak. What do I mean by that? The mind and the emotions are going one way that is not contrary. That is just going to cause friction. And so what he wanted was for them to experience this life. Everybody okay? Notice what we'll end right here in Romans, the sixth chapter. There's probably a lot of verses we could read. But like I said, this is addressed. And I will say this. 
if you get the underlying idea of this, you can walk in healing. You can walk in soundness. You can walk as an overcomer. You can walk in all the fullness if you get the underlying element that is in these verses. But if you don't connect them and realize it's a divine principle, an idea, and think, well, that's just, you know, not liking that. It's more than that. It's getting the eternal life of God flowing through you. But the eternal life of God is not going to flow through me if I'm suppressing that nature in order to entertain something else. Because when you get saved, Jesus said eternal life will be in you like a well bubbling up. He said the power of the Spirit will be in you flowing through you like rivers. But if he's trying to flow through me, but I'm thinking contrary to who I am and who lives in me, I'm going to be suppressing that. And God wants heaven on earth for you and the church, no matter what the circumstances are. And there is a divine principle here in, in, in Romans 6.11, and we'll close with this verse. Romans 6.11, likewise you also reckon. Now if you're from the south, this totally makes sense. I reckon I'm going to go to the store right now. I reckon I'll meet you there for, you know, some sweet tea, because that's what they drink. I reckon, you know, I'll do this. I reckon I'll be there. Maybe their language is correct. No, it's not. Likewise, you reckon. It's actually an accounting term. It's something you do with your mentality. It's how you consider things. So he said, likewise, you also consider this and, or think this way. Be calculated with this thinking. Notice he wrote to these people, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. What was he saying here? The same thing he said over there in 1 Corinthians. You're dead to sin. You know why people struggle with sin that are saved? They don't think they're dead to sin. Somebody said, well, I'm not. I'm tempted. There's a difference between Jesus was tempted. Was he alive to sin? Everybody go, no, 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 no. He never sinned. Think about it. Famous verses, 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bore your sins, my sins, in his own body on the tree that we are now dead to sin. When he said reckon yourself dead to sin, some people like that church were not reckoning this is wrong. And in your life, you need to think I'm dead to sin. This temptation is wanting me to act contrary to who I am in Christ. This thing's wanting to get a hold of my life and wanting me to act in a way where I come underneath its power instead of the life of God ruling through me. So I have to reckon myself. I mean, I have to consider I'm dead to sin. But you could be right in the middle of a temptation. That's why you reckon yourself. Or... 
for Arizona thinking and not in the South. Likewise, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive. This is alive with his life, clean, alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what he was trying to do and does all throughout the Bible in the New Testament, once somebody gives their life to the Lord, man, they're full of something that is tremendous. See, but that church had started allowing things to come in, and they kind of got compromised in their attitude. And when they compromised their attitude, they weren't really thinking like who they really were. They weren't seeing themselves, you know, as children of God, full of the life of God, because later on, He tells them, don't you even realize that you are the temple of God and that God lives inside of you? So what's he saying? I got to consider different. And if I could really connect and look at the spiritual life I've received, there's a fire that burns in you when you've received the Lord. There's a boldness inside of you. But if we're not careful and we allow other things in our thinking, this is why God will align you with this. And that's what he was trying to do in that church because he wanted them to be vibrant. He wasn't against the guy who was committing that that sexual act. Because after the guy finally did repent, he said, bring him back in. Don't allow him to be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Humans might think they've done wrong. Let them live in it. But he said, no, they've repented. Bring them back in. But he wanted them to know, you are different. You are. Now, I I, I don't know if you, you're not different just because you're here. But I'm talking about people who have given their life to the Lord. And then there's a spiritual part of you that's made new. Because anybody who's given their life to the Lord right after, they've had bad thoughts in the enemy. He'll try to play a trick on you. Oh, if you were a Christian, you'd never think like that. He was the one who gave you the thought. Okay, that went over real good. Because see, some people think they're so intelligent that they give themselves these bad thoughts. You take you and put you in heaven right now, you are not going to have bad thoughts. You are not. If you're saved and you get put into heaven right now, we just did a transfer for a week. One, you'd never want to come back. But if we did that, you would never have a bad thought. You wouldn't. So why do you have bad thoughts here? There, there's a devil and there's other stuff. But don't identify it as you. Identify it as an enemy. And go, I'm not going to adopt that. 